Thank you so much, uh, Millie and, and the ODI team for this kind invite. It's great to be here. Um, my, you asked me to do a short introduction. My really greatest claim to credit of any kind is that Millie and I were undergraduates together at Oxford. Um, and I remember we were both doing PPE and trying to figure out the uh, boundaries and contours of that slightly strange combination of subjects, but had great fun with it, I think. And I'm glad to see that we're both still keeping up with different aspects of the P, the P and the E uh, at, at the moment. Uh, currently, I work in, in our Ministry of Communication and information in Singapore. Um, a part of the ministry does very traditional comms spokesperson type work. Uh, that is not what I do. I work rather on digitalization policy, thinking a lot about how digital intersects with existing areas of policy, whether it's uh, economic, social, regulatory, or international, uh, and then trying to figure out what new uh, things we need to figure out, uh, and, and also just trying to handle new problems and challenges as they come along. So this, David, will be my response to your question in the chat earlier on. You know, I'm trying to figure out what digital X, all these traditional areas and domains looks like and what the both risks and opportunities might be um, in this, this complex and emergent space. So today for the first few minutes or so, I, I'd love to, to chat with you a bit about the idea of data as a generative good. Uh, and, and where I wanted to start off really is the idea that um, if you read any economics textbook, right, um, still, alas, uh, chapter one usually says something like the central problem of economics, scarcity, as if scarcity is something that applies to pretty much everything uh, and every phenomenon that we know, right? It applies not just to physical goods, but also to things like time, right, and, and storage capacity. Uh, and, and, and I think it's important to ask ourselves whether it is indeed true that, you know, scarcity is always this central paradigmatic uh, assumption that we have to make about the world or whether there are some things out there in the world which are not scarce. Uh, and I do think data, along with you know, other virtual entities like knowledge, as well as connections and relationships and the trust that comes from them, uh, I think these things can be seen as a very different kind of good. Rather than things that are scarce, I think we can think of data as something that is non-rival, you know, it's not something that we, we that where my consumption of data is necessarily going to reduce your consumption of data. And it's also non-excludable in the sense that I can't stop you from consuming data just because I might have consumed it. Uh, and I think it's important to ask ourselves, therefore, what, are, what, what does data look like, right? And what kind of good is it? Uh, what kind of resource is it if it isn't subject to some of the traditional scarcities that exist? Um, and I think when we look at the fact that data begets more data, and the fact that when we use and interpret data, more data and, and potentially knowledge and insight get generated. Um, I think we're dealing here with a very different kind of, of economic phenomenon. And what I'd like to, uh, to, to suggest is that actually data as a generative good possesses five qualities that are quite different from the traditional idea of a private good, right, which is rivalrous and excludable um, and, and, and therefore subject to, to certain um, scarcities and can also therefore be rationed by, by the price signal. Uh, the first thing that I think uh, data possesses is that it is not static in its quality, but it's continually evolving. As I mentioned, this, the mere um, consumption and, and interpretation of data generates and begets new data. And that means that the nature and boundaries of the data that we feel uh, are forever evolving. Right? They're never static, they're continually dynamic. One result of that is a second quality that I think data has, which I like to call input-output polymorphism. Um, you know, with, with many goods, you know what the inputs to, the, to them are, right? There are factors of production, there's a process of producing them, and then some kind of output, right? Whether it's computers or chairs uh, or Zoom accounts, there is a sense of output. 
With data though, it's quite unclear when data stops being an input and starts to become an output of a process. In fact, the very dichotomy of input and output uh, are not actually tenable in the case of data because what is one person's input could very well be you know, a very useful final product for someone else who can use that data and interpret it in new and in creative ways. So I think, I think this sense of being polymorphic, right, of, of having multiple forms across the input-output spectrum is a really interesting aspect of, of data. The third thing that I think data displays is that it can easily be subject to underuse rather than overuse. I think this is key because if you think about what the traditional tragedy of the commons is, um, what Garrett Hardin wrote about, for instance, right? That, that commons is subject to overuse, right? Um, whether it's commons that are fields uh, or, or any other kind of common resource, the tragedy there is of overexploitation, and that which then results in either the sapping of the nutrients of a field or, or the overexploitation to the point of denudation of a particular resource. But when you deal with data and other generative goods, you're dealing actually with underuse as the tragedy, right? Data that sits by itself and is unutilized and uninterpreted by others is data that is wasted. And, and that I think is the great tragedy when if it is used, it could actually lead to all sorts of interesting new conclusions or new permutations and, and combinations. And so I think there is a tragedy that's involved here, but the tragedy of the generative commons like data is a tragedy of underuse rather than a tragedy of overuse. Fourth thing that I think is interesting about data is that it has funny, fuzzy and dynamic edges. And what I mean by that is, you know, with traditional goods, right, whether it's trees or, or other private uh, entities that we can buy and sell, we have a clear sense of the boundaries, right? My goods end where your goods begin. I know where a particular set of fisheries might lie, and I know what those boundaries look like. Whereas with data, the boundaries are fuzzy and dynamic. And what that means, I think, is that they, those, those boundaries need to be governed not by fixed and very clearly defined legal rules, but more by, by norms and, and, and kind of emergent rules that, that communities might, might have to deal with. And that, that's a, a way of dealing with the fuzziness and the dynamism of the, these boundaries. And then finally, I thought it was useful to point out as a fifth quality of, of a generative good like data, um, data doesn't have clear equilibrium optimization points. You know, there isn't a clear sense of, you know, where you can intersect cost and, and benefit curves and have a sense of where the optimal point of consumption of data might be, precisely because we're dealing with a constantly evolving phenomenon, right? And so the, the, the lack of very clear equilibria mean that we don't have the, the benefits of stable points from which to make policy or decisions. We need, to, therefore, to be able to adjust in a very emergent way to, to what data is, is telling us. Uh, let me just touch very quickly on some implications of these five qualities before we, we open up the, the conversation. I'd love to hear any reactions or thoughts that, that anyone might have. Um, the first quality of not being static but evolving, I think what that leads to is, is a very important implication whereby the ways in which we measure economic value for data need to change because the very nature of that value is not going to be static. It's going to be continually evolving. And today's data will look very different from tomorrow's data in terms of the kinds of insights and value that, and wisdom that it actually um, generates. So how we measure value in a mostly static and fixed way, I think needs to evolve and really become much more constructivist in, in its overall approach. The fact that there is input and output polymorphism means that the way in which we tax and regulate data will also have to be have to change. Right? We, we won't be able to approach this as a static, finite good that is, is immutable. What we have to think about, therefore, is 
how we, we deal with this a situation where data may lead to new forms of scarcity, even in its abundance, uh, because people can still generate paywalls by, around data. They can generate new forms, if you like, of, of ring fencing um, that, that control um, uh, the data. But in ways that, that may not have been be amenable to some of the traditional economic laws that we're dealing with. One of my favorite ideas here comes from the sociologist of science, Robert Merton, you know, who talks about the Matthew effect. This is a, it's a line from the Gospel of Matthew, right, uh, which says that whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And I think this applies to generative goods like data because those who have will be given more. They will have the opportunity to generate further data and, and have this generative quality of data play itself out. But those who don't have data will have more and more taken away from them because of the relative scarcities that they, they face. And I think this kind of generated scarcity is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. It's something that gets generated by the rules that we put in place. These, I think, will have major implications for what we do about taxation and regulation in the data space. Um, thirdly, the problem of underuse will mean that we need to have much more participative and deliberative approaches to help us guard against the, under, the potential underuse in, in the tragedy of the data commons. And I think what that means is the kinds of norms that I was talking about earlier right, will require greater participation by large groups and communities as they develop what those norms are, rather than assuming that these norms can be sent from on high by some kind of state authority. The fuzzy and dynamic edges, that was the fourth quality I talked about earlier. I think they will lead to very interesting implications for intellectual property laws. Who will own data? Where does ownership start and end? Because if the data is forever changing and the, and the edges of data are fuzzy and dynamic, then we will have to find ways to make sure that intellectual property laws keep up with that fuzziness right? and don't assume to um, be, be so fixed right, in, in their, their overall approaches. That, that we can actually put in place laws that allow for very certain and static codifications. Finally, the fact that there are no clear equilibria in the, in the use of data as a generative good means that we will need to have a much more systems-based approach to, to dealing with um, data-related phenomenon, rather than assuming that we can optimize in very specific vertical silos. Um, you know, Millie, you mentioned international versus local approaches right, um, earlier. I do think that when we deal with data, we're dealing with the potential for vast network effects if the data is allowed to flow across multiple boundaries. And I think what we need to find, therefore, is ways where different nationalities or different jurisdictions' rules around data can minimally be interoperable. They don't need to be identical, but they, if they can at least be interoperable, then we allow for the data to flow and to generate some of these very, very critical network effects, which is where core value can actually get created from them. So all of these require quite different approaches. To, to policymaking compared to what we might have been used to, to before, right? And we have to move, I think, from a very ordered, fairly linear approach to, to policymaking to a, pol a policymaking that is much more emergent and one that is, as the title of today's talk suggests, right, much more experimental in its approaches, an approach that is iterative and allows us to be agile as we deal with the generative potential um, of the, the data. So let me stop there. Um, I think I'm taken just under 10 minutes, so I'd love to hear any reactions or thoughts that anyone might have um, in, in relation to all of these ideas.